Welcome to season two of The Reflection. We started this series in March 2020 after the announcement of the lockdown and COVID-19 began to change the world. For 20 weeks, academics, activists and journalists joined us to discuss everything from the UK government's mishandling of the pandemic, the growth of conspiracies, Black Lives Matter and what it was like to bear witness to the growth of existing local and global inequalities. For this season, our guests will be reflecting on the political climate of the past year and we'll be talking to authors who have released books in 2020 concerning matters of race and class. Welcome to another episode of Surviving Society's Reflection Series. We told you we had given you the last episode, but actually this is the last episode. Surprise. Surprise. What happened? Oh, Tiso just hurt his hand. <laughs> Babe, what happened? You don't know. You're right. Yeah, I kicked it. It was a bit sore. Sorry. Yeah, fine. You're fine. You're fine. He's good. He's good. Tiso is good. So basically, two things. Number one, I just couldn't bear to finish on nine episodes of a, of a season. So yes. It was episode 29. I needed to finish on 30 by a round number. Round numbers are good. Um, And number two... um. There's just so much, obviously, fuckeries going on that we felt like we needed to round it up a bit more succinctly rather than, like, each reflection episode is very, is is situated within the present moment, but it's very specific in terms of the types of conversations we had. So we had David Waring on um, the last episode talking about Afghanistan. So today we're going to use some of the resources from our very helpful Friends, then well, they're not actually our friends, but they feel like our friends now. Um, friends of Society, the Good Law Project. I'm going to read out some of the cases or some of the matters around COVID in particular that the Good Law Project have been challenging and winning. Now, lots of our listeners will over COVID-19 and the handling of it and the lockdown. Lots of our listeners will know about a lot of these cases, but lots won't. And I think that because there are so much stuff going on within the UK context and obviously globally we sometimes forget about all the different things that have happened so what we like to do on this show as you know is return to <laughs> return to the madness because there is so much madness yeah so Tiso doesn't know which cases I'm going to read out big up the good law project by the way we don't know you guys but we absolutely love you okay come on the show I'm reading out a tweet slash thread from the good law project Test and waste. Explosive new report condemns the government's muddled and overstated test and trace system and finds it failed to cut infection levels despite its eye-watering £37 billion of funding for the test and trace. Today's report finds over-reliance on consultants has likely cost taxpayers hundreds of millions of pounds. In April, 2,164 consultants worked on NHS test and trace with an average pay of £1,100 a day. Our report on the consultancy gravy train. Incredibly, only 14% of lateral flow test results have been registered Huge waste like that has likely generated huge wealth for some. We revealed the existence of a fast track VIP lane for testing firms preferred by ministers. It shows you that what Brexit and all this was about, it wasn't about the nation per se. It was about the free marketeers and rampant free marketism. As far as I can tell, this is what Brexit has opened up. And so you can see this in the politics of COVID. You can see this in the politics of Brexit. And post Brexit, the UK right now is almost becoming like a well, like a tax haven almost. Like, to what extent have these things always been happening? To what extent have they increased or right. ramped up? Are we just are we just seeing things more viscerally right. now? Right, I would say this current government they've 
they've moved to deregulation to a, a, on a scale that's never been seen before. Really? In the UK? In the UK, in the UK history, they're trying to deregulate. So there's no regulations, but for any company, there's less regulations, sorry, not no, there's less regulations. So companies will come here because then they know their monies are safe. They will invest here. Mm -hmm. But at what cost? The cost is to us, basically. Why do people, why are people not so outraged at this theft, this, this theft of taxpayers' money? Why are they not outraged? Do you know what? 1,100 pounds a day yeah. for consultants. <laughs> right. I for a system that doesn't work that costs 37 billion pounds right it wants you i don't know i don't I, and you've cut universal credit <laughs> I, I don't know answer i know why does no one care it's like gentrification right when it was happening the people who were living there said nothing in fact who they blamed were immigrants right they, they weren't angry at the rich people moving in kicking yeah. out of space but in the 70s and 80s when the, when the immigrants move in they try to kick them out mm. saying you're trying to change my area do this and the other but when rich people came and did it no one said a word and there's something to do in the, with the UK and deference to people who they consider their social betters. So the Queen and all those others can do some fuckeries and no one says nothing. But if me and you did it, go back to where you're from. <laughs> I, like the bar is so low now. I don't think there's, there's much this government can't do in terms of harm. No, they've done it all from not respecting Parliament, which they're part of, right? Mm -hmm. Down to not feeding kids. So where else do you go from that? Mm. Where else do you go? <laughs> what did George say? George said genocide. Well, listen, listen. The irony is, the irony is, policies of the BNP would have been proud of in the eighties have become policy of the of the Conservative government with. So those vans that you drive around looking for go immigrant? home, go home vans, and with the idea of the windrush scandal. So that ineffectively. Those ideas, which were very far right, have become mainstream policy. Yeah. And this is obviously our friends, um, Aaron Winter and Aurelia Monden talk about this in Reactionary Democracy. Like the mainstreaming of this harm, violence, structural neglect is so hard to not just come to terms with, but you can, it's so visual now in Britain the divide between uh well the divisions the divisions are much more much more is the right word sparse no one's got any cash and it's really hard for the people that are in the sort of top five seven percent of earners people that save each month i know we spoke about this with danny on the reflection series to understand that but people haven't got any money at the moment especially since the pandemic has brought out is that when you have money certain things, you don't, they are no longer obstacles. For example, the idea of moving freely, travel, for mm -hmm. example. I'm gonna read you another one now. So it's the 29th of August yeah. and this week, the Good Law Project confirmed that the High Court has given them permission to launch a legal challenge over the minister's use of private emails and WhatsApp. <laughs> well, During, to hand that contracts. Yeah. What's annoying is is that people won't call that corruption. In the UK, they'll call it cronyism. But to me, and but yet they'll speak of a country like Nigeria as if it's the most corrupt country in the world, when this is actual corruption happening right in front of our faces, and people think it's cronyism, like it's a like it's a laugh. What is cronyism? As far as I can tell, corruption, but with a funnier name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just to confirm. 
this high court battle over WhatsApp is going ahead. Mm. So conducting government business outside of official channels flies in the face of ministers' legal obligations to preserve official records. How can anyone be certain that critical information is not being lost or even deleted? I think this shit's always gone on, but they're just they're just being blatant about it now. They're being they're, no, you're hundred percent right. It's always gone on, right? But but because they know there's certain rules to follow, you basically you have to be careful. So they're being sloppy because they don't care. And this is what shocks me: the people in government now they seem to just don't care. Mm-hmm. So they they're purely in it for themselves. Not for a, b- a better idea of society or helping people. I'm in it just to help my pals. Breaking. Government ordered to reveal the names of companies in the PPE VIP lane. Good Law Project has successfully forced the government to reveal the names of the 47 companies in the PPE VIP lane. The Information Commissioner has ordered the Department of Health and Social Care to disclose the names of these 47 companies to us within 35 calendar days. The immense scandal in which the UK Health Security Agency found that at least 43,000 people may have wrongly been given a negative COVID test result is a powerful reminder of the harm that can result in public health from opaque contracting arrangements with unsustainable counterparties. As soon as the company names are shared with us, we'll publish them. The Good Law Project will continue working to expose the staggering waste and sleaze of the 12.5 billion PPE VIP bonanza. And just to confirm as well that we know that some of those PPE contracts were given to companies that didn't provide PPE that actually protected people from COVID-19. Yeah, yeah. But what's scary is how the government are trying to anticipate these movements and trying to make it harder for for them to be scrutinised in the, the courts. That's the most scary thing. So we know that they're taking the piss. They know that they're taking the piss. This is from the 13th of October 2021. Revealed Tory donors firm that landed 240 million school laptop contract contracts agrees 400% jump in shareholder payout. <laughs> Counterputer Centre, the huge IT firm which landed over £240 million in contracts from the government to supply laptops to vulnerable children during the pandemic, has increased dividends payouts to shareholders by an eye-watering 402% in 2020. Computer Centre found that the, the major Tory donor, Sir Philip Hume, holds over 9 million shares in the firm, landing him personally a dividend payout of circa Four point seven million pounds. There, there, there. Da, da, da. Bandits. The, the, the actual. <laughs> listen, listen. This is, it's not funny. No, listen, I don't know. Right, I, listen, I, I, I no, think I'm gonna just. I, I, I laugh because it, it's so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. And the thing is, I. This is what happens with unrestrained greed. And it, it, it's problematic. It's always been problematic. And. From from UK history, we understand that, but yet people want to repeat this and not say nothing. According to the firm's 2020 annual report, an astronomical sum of 268 million has been set aside for dividend payouts to its shareholders. The latest computer centre accounts boasts of exceptional growth and a 37% increase in revenue from public sector clients throughout the pandemic. And you know, if you're a public sector client, you know, you're not allowed to barter. They have to pay full price, you have to pay rate cards. Yeah. 
like you can't as as a public in, as a public institution yeah as a, and as a public institution like the government yeah. taxpayers money going you can't you can't barter or get deals or anything okay, you, have to you pay, pay rate, rate cards okay. they tell you say how much it is and they're like oh, okay cool what's upsetting the 19th century was an era of like excessive inequality right so you have the landlords making all this money and you had all these poor people so you have the there's lots of reform bills in the 19th century from the corn laws to the chartists to the topodomatas all these kind of people and it's about fighting for like workers rights but it's all about easing inequality and this is what this is one of the things but in saying that that big gap so there's an argument around going around especially it's an american argument actually saying are we living through what they call the second gilded age that mean? so the first gilded age was around about the turn of the century so in the 19 early the early 1900s right so we have excessive uh, inequality again so you have mad well i think the first billionaires occur, occurring at that time and then what happened was after this gilded age the mad inequality you had massive social reforms that come so they're saying but what the argument goes that now given we have such crazy inequality will we start seeing crazy social programs because in america at the time women got the vote just after the first gilded age uh there were moves to make black people integrate black people more into uh mainstream society but again if you get into the actual nuance of these things they're not as clear cut as they as they appear to be but there was a big push for these big social programs after the first gilded age and yet social science is saying now we're in a second gilded age will we see those big social programs yeah, and it reminds me just like localizing it a bit in terms of uh, the UK. If you think about like the eighties, think about Thatcher, and then think about what's his what's his chops, John Major, John Major, and then you get to nineteen ninety seven, and then you get an investment in education, Sure Start, Education Action Zones. Obviously, they did a lot of shit as well, mm-hmm. but you get that yeah. investment in. So will that, and that's what I'm. That's what I feel like we're constantly. It's not like. Sorry, I don't mean we're waiting for new labour again, but we're waiting for an investment in working similar. class life again. But, given, but maybe that's never going to happen again. Well, maybe, like I said, given the context of Brexit and the kind of downsides of of that. Economically. Yeah, I don't know if we'll be in that place economically or even politically to do that. Okay, next. Good Law Project revealed profits jumped 500% at Uniserve after firm landed VIP contracts. In June, Good Law Project revealed that Uniserve, a logistics firm controlled by Ian Liddell, landed a staggering 300 million plus in government PPE contracts after being channeled down the VIP lane. They also landed an eye-watering 572 million deal to provide freight services for the supply of PPE. Despite having no track record of supplying PPE, the lucrative deals were awarded to Uniserve without any competition. The company does, however, share the same address as Cabinet Office Minister Julia Lopez, MP, and is based in her constituency. Right, Good so, Law Project. Do you know what? So they're obviously like amazing because they just ta- mm. they're challenging the government constantly, but they bring the vim with it as well. They've like they've attached picture of of the, of the, of the <laughs> picture right. of these two people together, the government minister and the private company. So one of the arguments people put forward is has. Mm corporate interests penetrated too deep into the state and what but what i get scared of when we talk about this is that we're being presentist with it like 
has it always been or is this unprecedented it's unprecedented isn't it i think it's i think it's it's escalated escalated so it's 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 been a process that's been ongoing but i guess at the at its current level is that you can see how integrated that they are mm-hmm. and that's what's quite scary okay one more bit about this we can now reveal that Unicer's profits have surged since the awarding of these contracts. Latest accounts published on Companies House up to June 2020 detail how Unicer's profits increased by £32 million last year, an increase of over 500%. <laughs> but I feel like we might like lose a lot of listeners on yeah, this yeah. episode because everyone's just going to be like, yeah. sat there like, I don't for know. God's sake... These, like obviously, this is public knowledge now, right? The, the issue is, what are people going to do about it? Will people remember in 2022? Uh, well, he wants, he, they're saying he wants to do an election early, right? So say if he does call an election early, 2022, 2023, will, he, will people remember? Because there's so many bad things happening. But that's why we're doing, that's why we keep, that's why we started the reflection. Like, obviously, as you guys know, like the main episode, we cover issues to do with race, gender, class, global politics, anti-racism. But one of the reasons why we started the reflection is we could see, like many others that are in our broad coalitions of creatives and podcasters that are looking to track some of this stuff outside of the mainstream media, we could see how much shit was happening on a day-to-day basis and that we needed to keep some kind of archive of this because this is, like, <laughs> this is in, this is, I can't believe we're living through this. It's the deluge of stuff. That keeps coming, and <laughs> um, yeah, it's just like I said. I I worry. Will people remember this? Like for example, do you remember the A level fiasco? Well, we covered it. I know, but like I said, we know we covered it. But do you, like yeah. that's it seems so far away, but it wasn't. It was like a year ago, right? Breaking. This is from July. New emails reveal government use taxpayers' money to conduct political polling. Good Law Project had a court hearing last week in connection with our challenge to the award of a lucrative public contract to associates of Michael Gove and Dominic Cummins at Hanbury without competition. Documents we can now disclose show that Hanbury, under instruction of the Cabinet Office, were given taxpayers' money to conduct political polling on key opposition figures, including Keir Starmer and Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan. The decision to spend public money polling on opposition politicians left civil servants deeply and rightly uncomfortable. One said on email, Hanbury measure attitudes towards political figures which they shouldn't do using government money but they have been asked to and it's a battle that I think is hard to fight. Documents unearthed in the course of our hearing also include this March 2020 email from Dominic Cummins to civil servants demanding approval to given immediately for Hanbury to commence polling work, adding, anyone in cab off, wines, tell them I ordered it from the PM. News of Hanbury's involvement was not well received. One civil servant wrote, this all makes me really uncomfortable. Ben Warner wants us to spend 110k of public money per month with the agency who were behind Vote Leave, who have no mainstream polling experience. The evidence shows how Dominic, Dominic Cummins' close ally and former number 10 advisor Ben Warner, another Vote Leave veteran, was directing civil servants to his private WhatsApp rather than his official email address. In one email to civil servants, he claimed, 
Often it's easier to catch me over WhatsApp than email. Needless to say, at government haven't disclosed any of Mr Warner's WhatsApp messages. The irony is Facebook got all the messages. <laughs> so it's mad, right? <sighs> Historically, are you shocked at that the people who are like favourites hold power? No, that's been part of the UK history since, yeah, since forever. What's shocking is that what, since we became since we became a parliamentary democracy, there are certain rules we have to abide by that are meant to be agreed by both sides. It, but it seems that these rules don't apply to them. So what do we do if they don't follow the rules? How do they expect anyone else to follow the rules? Is that the point? By creating chaos at the top, I don't think that's a sustainable long term plan, because what will happen is I, you can use I, you can use that as a, as a kind of election winner. By chaos at the top, chaos at the bottom, and say we're strong in law and order, and then say we're going to put more people in prison. But but those things don't work. Oh no no, prisoners are prisoners are now truck drivers. (laughs) It's not extreme for me to say this is this is like slavery. So are they paid? They get paid? No no, but it's an idea. It's an idea that they're using from the states, right? So to get prisoners to make stuff, it's, it's again, uh, but again, no, but obviously, no, we've had that in UK prisons yeah, overall, but so prisoners are going to be the ones to drive the lorries. Like, like we trust them. Like the, the, the example, well, second, the example they gave in the, t- no, oh my in the God, TV show, he, he was uh, a prisoner and he was in prison for driving a truck full of drugs. And now he's driving. And now he's driving a truck full of food or whatever. And drugs. <laughs> and <probably>. drugs. <laughs> Um, we just want to say um, a huge... Fuck the Tories. Yeah, fuck the Tories. But also, um, we want to say there's so many within our broad coalitions that are trying to make sense of what is happening in society, but also fight back against what is happening in society, whether that's through generative knowledge production, whether that's inclusive political education, or whether that's the most crucial thing, and that's direct action. And there are so many people doing such amazing things. Today, we wanted to uh, spotlight the Good Law Project because they're doing their thing and they're doing what they can to hold the government to account. And one of the things they they talk about and on their blog posts and stuff is it's about democracy. They're trying to retrieve democracy. Yeah. Um, I I think, I think that's a worthwhile thing to do. That's if that's the ideal we're supposed to aim for. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And I think one of the things that we speak about in the show is again, this emphasis on broad coalitions of people doing what they can with what they have to try and, make change and we can all sit here and critique each other and what have you but like people that really do speak truth to power you've got you've got to have a lot of respect for them i mean it is it's I, a lot and you've got so this is actually you know earlier pretty patel saying that lawyers that stand up for asylum seekers and refugees are activists like as in but like they are activists but using that in a way that is a derogatory like is so scary yeah and it but it plays that it plays to their audience right it plays that part of the demographic that wants to be scared they want to keep people out it's all bullshit man like like you know what in 2021 coming to the end of 2021 you know how tired of this same conversation of this same conversation i'm like you far right people just just allow it just allow it, fam. We listen. We know you don't like foreigners. You know you want to, but you know it's not going to happen. 
They it's don't like possible. anyone. They don't like their wives. I, I know, but listen. They don't like their kids. Listen. They don't like, they don't, listen. You watch Succession. Listen. They don't like anyone. Listen. Just money. They're cool. Take your money and, and jet set around the world. But just allow people. Go to space. Go to space. Go to space. Go to space. Just allow people now, man. Like, just allow us. Like, I get it. I get it. You don't like this. You don't like that. I want it my flag. I'll give you your statues. I'll give you your flag. I'll give you a blue passport. Just cool. Go you take your fish and chips and go in the corner. I'll have my curry. My jerk chicken and every all the spices, I'll keep all that. And man. you can have your bland life. Yeah, fam. Um, Fuck yeah, you know, man. Big up again, the Good Lord Project, yeah. and big up everyone else that is doing what they can with what they have. We keep going. Yes. See you next week, listeners. See you. Next See you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the T's and C's with T. and Chantel. You can now continue the conversation with us on Twitter and Instagram.